Hello, and welcome to another edition of the DevOps Podcast. As always, the views represented in this podcast are the individuals alone and do not represent the corporation they work for. Thanks and enjoy. So we are trying this uh, podcast, DevOps podcast here, and uh, we are at DevOps Enterprise Summit London, England, uh, 2019. <laughs> I am joined by the legend, Chris Pope, uh, aka The Pope, uh, VP of innovation of one of the most innovative companies in the world. That's got to be absolutely fun as hell. So, uh, God, man, thank you so much for, no worries. Oops. for uh, coming and joining us. So. Cool. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about it. What's it like being the VP of innovation at the most innovative company in the world? Well, it's fun. Yeah, right? We get to have fun at ServiceNow, which I think is a big thing. Um, and we can't say that tagline anymore because we no longer have the image rights. Ah, know? there we go. So, yes, uh, yes. Um, just a big shout out to marketing there that we read those things. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, the platform's always been there, but I don't think the necessarily the industry the customers or the thought has been there that you know if you think when the platform came about you know 2004 2005 and so on cloud wasn't really a thing yeah platform was like well that's somewhere where trains stop right um and it wasn't a thing because everyone wanted to keep everything inside their own walls because it was more secure and you had more control and then slowly but surely over time that's happened and i think you know for me this year knowledge was a big coming out party if you will or, or the moment the penny dropped that yes this truly is a platform. So I think for my role and my team is now, you know, how do we spend more time focusing on what the problem is and less of the solution? Right? We've got lots of people that can talk about solutions and figure out solutions and talk products and technologies and all those fun things. But what's the problem we're actually solving, right? And and I think the other side of it is is sort of the well, what's in it for me? Great, you're another product, you're another platform, you can do lots of cool stuff. But everybody says that. Right, so why service now? And I think a lot of that comes down to obviously the power of the platform and what it can do, and that it's fundamentally always been there. But I think you know you, you look at the quotes from Fred and others and saying you know if if you know making the work lives of people doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, making their life better, then what else is there you're doing right? If it's not for people, then who is it for? And I think you know that's a big part of it, and the fact that we're you know as a company. We still have, you know, yes, we've got you know, corporate traits about us because we have to now in size and scale, but I think we're still giving a lot of autonomy and a lot of freedom to actually do cool things and do interesting things and do different things and test things. And it's okay that they might not work or you might fail, but as long as you learn and you take that forward and do something meaningful with it, then we all win. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I was just reading an article, um, you know, being on this side of the pond, it's great because some of our the motherland, <laughs> the motherland. I'll take that um, for sure. And you know, Dave Arms is someone who's super impressive to me. I've been a colleague and just I've admired him since I started working with him. But he just posted a thing on Virgin Trains and how they've literally gone live and are not only gone live but are literally displacing the transportation industry with mm -hmm. a system that's built entirely <laughs> on our platform. Yeah. And I don't know. To me, I was blown away by that article because it's like this is one of the first companies I've worked for where. The stuff we're doing truly is impacting lives and making them better, and I just think that's awesome. So. Yeah, I was there. I was so I was at a transportation event this morning with the partner that built that, and obviously Virgin Trains. And I spent a lot of time with John, the CIO there. And the funny thing is about it is, you know, where it originally started was around the concept of managing disruption, right? You know, they're in the middle of the train station. They've got people on the front line. Trains are being cancelled. Trains are being delayed, and. We have a funny phrase here, you know, if there's leaves on the track, all mayhem breaks loose, right? Like a 200-ton train can't deal with leaves on a track, seriously. <laughs> um, and the worst situation is the lack of information. So they actually went out, put the red coats on, and were on the platforms. They were on the trains when these things happened, so that they actually got to appreciate and feel the pain of a lack of information. So they then went back and that sort of drove, if you will, their requirements or their stories or, or the personas of the people that they needed to work with. And this disruption management application came about where they said, well, actually, 
we've got lots of the data. We're just not very good at bringing it together. As an industry, you know, they're the franchise and they ride the rails, if you will, that are provided. Um, how do they work together? Because traditionally they fight, right? The, the operator wants the rails available more. The people that manage the rails need to stop the train so they can do maintenance and vice versa, right? And it's this big blame game. And they've actually started to break all those barriers down now with the common goal of actually communicating better to customers when bad things are happening. And the next sort of version of that uh, app is really interesting is, you know, the big station they have in here in London is called Euston, and it runs, you know, north and up the West Coast mainline and so on. But they know that, hey, you know, um, the train that got just got cancelled to wherever, there's 700 passengers in the station waiting around, generally feeling a bit grumpy. And <laughs> are they going to get home tonight, right, to friends and family and so on? What they're now going to do is look at that and understand capacity and say, you know what? The next train that leaves this station that could have been going to where you live, sorry, demand tells us those 700 people are more important right now. The train is now going there instead. And they want to use the app. So at the moment, it's colleague to colleague. They now want to produce that same information to the consumer or the customer or the passenger through their loyalty app as well that says, hey, by the way. The other cool thing John gave us a head up this morning was um, where the big departure boards are with all the information on either side of it generally have commercials on about goodness knows what else. What they've got agreement from the network operator is when there is disruption, they take control of those screens now. And guess what's going to be up there? Service now. Showing the disruption, showing the alerts and the alarms. Brilliant, subliminal advertising for us in a way. Um, but that's how they're going to use it and make it very consumable for people. And then they start getting more into the proactive stuff around push notifications like, look, we know you were on this. It's delayed or cancelled. You can take the next one. Your ticket will be on it. And as a, you know, a loyalty thing, here's something for a free cup of coffee or you know, whatever right. it may be. Um, and then the next version of that was they started looking at fraud management, which you think, oh, you know, that's not something you could do on ServiceNow. But if you ever look at the video or the demo they do, it's basically, um, you know, the relationship map that you have in CMDB, right? Things depend on, connect to, rely on. And all they've done is taken these disparate data sources of passengers, claims, tickets, sales. Um, when you get on a train, they scan your ticket to prove whether you're there or not. So you submit a claim. Hey, I was on this train. It was an hour's late. Based on the industry um, rules, you owe me a full refund. They were spending $18 million a year, or pounds, sorry, just blindly paying these because I can't prove whether you were there or not, right? So they started plugging all this stuff together and they figured out that the amount of money they were wasting in fraud, just giving away with fraudulent claims was off the charts. So they started to plug it all together and understand it. And the case they talk a lot about is there's one guy that they actually took to court. He got arrested as part of it. They raided his house. They found a box under the bed with 20,000 pounds in cash. They found another one in the cupboard full of 15,000 pounds and he paid cash for a first-class ticket to Vegas on Virgin Atlantic. Oh, so he scammed money out of the train company to go to the plane, right, oh, or the geez. airline, and fly to Vegas. And he got prosecuted and done. And what they found was this guy was doing it with every train operator. So what John has now said is he doesn't want to make any money from this application whatsoever. He wants to release it to the rail industry for the greater good oh, wow. of passengers. So they talk to each other, they share information, and a lot of this operational efficiency or capability, every operator should have, every regulator should have in the transportation industry. And he's very vocal about it and talks about it. And you just think, you know what, that's the right thing to do. And then, you know, from our viewpoint, that's cool. That's our platform. Yeah, that is really neat. No, it just it resonates, right? It's we, we talk about the marketing stuff, but when you actually see it applied in the world, it's it's a totally different feel. And the media that came out this weekend in some of the Sunday publications and other things wasn't pushed by us. It just got picked up at an event they were at, and the independent newspaper wrote an article on it, and it got published in the Sunday uh, version of the paper on the weekend. Um, and there was something done on TV as well. Totally unbeknownst to us. We didn't pay for that media. So it's starting to get out there almost virally by its own sort of, you know, its own steam, for want of a better word. That's amazing. So... One of the things I want to talk to you about is I, you know, I've been at the company now for about three and a half years and it's been a rocket ship ride for me and just quantumly changed from mm -hmm. when I got here to where we are now. 
but you've been here. You're OG. So. Seven. Seven <laughs> that's, years. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've rode up at VMware. I was there from about 4 billion as we went into 10. Here I joined right when we hit 1 billion. But like, that's a really incredible thing. You had to be here back in the hundreds of millions. Uh, I was employee 500 and something, I think it was originally, to the point where I remember Daniel Lully, who's still with us, um, <clears throat> one of our HR practitioners, um, had a, a whiteboard on her cube, and I joined, and that day she rubbed the number out and incremented it by one, <laughs> and that's how we counted how many number of employees we had there, which is really cool, that's but it amazing. worked. It worked, right? Um, yeah, it's interesting because before that, I was a customer three times, right? So I'd been involved in, and seen it grow and, and done different things. And then finally got the phone call from Fred and, and, you know, joined the company. And I was the original ITSM product manager, CMDB and Discovery. Oh, wow. Right? You know, <laughs> which is, they were beasts of products back then. They're enormous now. They yeah. have armies of people now, right? Which is the right thing to do. So, yeah, I think as it's changed and sort of grown up, it's... There's certain things we have to do, right? Just of scaling the company and doing those sort of things. And, you know, as, as I'm fortunate to be part of our leadership team and we get together twice a year and we talk about these things and, and something that always comes back to was, you know, we still want to be the people that you'd have a beer with or you could chat with or just chill out with or, or they're good people to work with or, or to hang out with. Yes, you know, we've got sales and all those other things and products and targets and they're all good things. But if they come as a byproduct of having a good relationship with a customer, that's a good thing, right? We don't want to be sort of ambulance chasers and those sort of things. And I think slowly but surely as the company's grown, it's interesting because, you know, as a public company, you've got to have certain rules and ideas and regulations and all those things in place, but you've still got a lot of autonomy in the regions as well. You know, um, I do a lot of work with the guys down in Australia and New Zealand, which, you know, is a bugger of a long way from anywhere, <laughs> plus a bit further. Yeah. Um, so they kind of have to be autonomous, right? Yes, there's guidelines and rules that, right, that makes sense. That's the structure. But then you still need to localize it and figure out what to do locally and be creative with it, right? And, you know, we've got hierarchy, of course, right? I report to Dave. Dave reports to John. Um, we've got managers and all those good things. But at the end of the day, we're still very flat as a company that if you wanted to talk to John or Dave Wright or CJ or, God forbid, me or whoever, you can do that. There's, yeah. no, there's no barrier to do that. And... And I think that hungry, humble thing really hits home a lot because you, you don't want to forget where we came from because you can't. But at the same time, I think we all know where we could be. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very achievable in terms of there's a very clear line of sight to that. And I think one of the best things that we do that unfortunately not everyone gets to see is either in the all hands or at sales kickoff is when Mike, you know, our CFO, explains the numbers and why we are where we are and why we think we can be where we can be, right? it makes sense. It's not like, yeah, everyone double down, work harder, do this. No, organically, we're gonna get where we need to go in certain areas. Yes, we need to do certain things differently. That's fine to get to 10 billion. But you can kind of look at it and go, that makes sense. That's not mad. You're not bonkers. You're not Elon Musk, right? That yeah. just makes sense and you can get it. So <laughs> I think, you know, I think the lighter sight that we have into that and the fact that still get a lot of inspiration and innovation from the field and customers um, in terms of what we can do and where we can go. You know, just earlier, I came from this event, um, a lady that works for Hitachi Trains, who was at the event, reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, I want to talk to you about, can we maybe do a POC or figure a way to do um, preventative maintenance for trains using ServiceNow? And you're like, well, okay, yeah, well, sounds like a schedule, sounds like an asset, sounds like people and resources, the platform app, right? Yeah. Uh, you just need a bit of, you know, creativity, do a little bit of a dance to ask the right question to get the right problem identified. And then we've got all the bits that could make that work, you know? Uh, yeah, and that's really, what's exciting. It's really interesting. I, you know, I, I tell everybody and, I, you know, we're here at the conference and I've had conversations with guys that I worked with years ago and then they say, you know, what's life like at ServiceNow? I said, well, okay, the first thing I learned well, was... today it's like this. Tomorrow it could be different. <laughs> right. But I said, the first thing I learned when I came in was, you know, for... I'm 21 years into my career. I said for about 14 years of my career, I worked on things that were quote unquote as a service. Right. And then, uh, then I came here and I will tell you that when I came here, the interesting thing for me was I learned that I'd never done anything as a service correctly in right. my entire <laughs> career. Yeah. Cause I didn't have, I, I literally didn't care about ITL. I didn't care about ITSM. I, those were things I threw over the bucket to the operations people for mm -hmm. 14 years. Yep. And, uh, you know, 
change management, release management. Those were all things that were like dirty words to me because it was... Bureaucracy. Yeah, it was all part of the, yeah, it's going to be slow and it's going to get in the way. And so, um, you know, it's been very interesting for me because the education now, now I tell everybody that I see the world now, once you put the glasses on, you can't take them off. Right. You see everything as a workflow problem. It's, there's a requester, there's a provider, and there's a taxonomy of service in between. And by the way, that's something we can do on our platform and we can help automate, orchestrate, manage, insight, you know, everything on it. And once you put those lenses on, it's really hard. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can't not see the world. I mean, way. Uber's workflow. <laughs> oh, I just don't think of it that way, right? Yeah. Because it's a good experience, but it's just workflow. It and they did a great way of enabling it. And that's all it really is. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been really incredible to do that. So let's, uh, <laughs> I love hearing these stories about the, the good mm-hmm. old days. Um, we were just talking right before this about you're saying we're opening uh, another office here in London where we're growing. So we just opened the Staines office. Yeah. So, well, we've got both offices at the moment, right? So we've got level one in Staines. But, you know, by the end of this year, we'll be close to 600 people in the UK, right? And we have every function, right? So we're, we're kind of autonomous in that way with, you know, sales and pre-sales, but support, engineering, HR, finance, legal, and so on. Um yeah, we're getting bigger, right? So level two is going to open a week on Monday with all the new brand and all the new cool thing. And the really cool thing is the four sides of the floor, if you will, each is a different borough of London and it's been themed accordingly. Oh, and, the, and the wayfinding is named with those streets that are, you know, in that part of London and so on. But then here in the city, you know, we're by St. Paul's, which is you know, an incredible place to be in London. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, but again, you know, outgrowing it, those sort of things. So we're actually going to move closer to the river, uh, a little bit closer to Temple Station. Uh, I think in March next year we'll do that. And it's got a roof deck and sorts of cool stuff like that. You know, so by the river on a sunny day like today, it'll actually be amazing. Um, of course, we only drink water. Um, of course, but, you of know, course. <laughs> might have bubbles in it. But, um, you know, it's it's just a sign of our growth, but also the support of the growth that, you know, we're doing the right things and, and, and creating a great work environment for people. That's a big part of it. So I know you weren't always here in London. Weren't you over in the States at some point? Yeah, I lived in Colorado for 13 years. Okay. Yep. So you started here, moved over there, and then came back? No. So 2004, I actually moved to the States. Uh, I worked for the Bad Bank. If anyone that watches uh, Despicable Me, you'll know the Bad Bank as Lehman Brothers. Uh, um, and yeah, I was there when the lights went off in September 2008. Uh, and it was an IT problem, just so you know. Um, and we were deploying Remedy 6 at the time, of all things. <laughs> God help us, right? And change management. And hey, you know, at the time, it was best of breed, right? right it right. is what it is. Um, and, you know, no one ever got picked, you know, fired for picking the top right corner of any magic quadrant, right? <laughs> um, so that's all good. And, you know, we were, I was there for that. Um, and we sort of over time started to trickle in service now more in the operations space at the time um, to do certain things around reporting and analytics. And then after 2008, when, you know, the world sort of started to end, um, I went over to the New York Stock Exchange because I had experience of ServiceNow and there weren't that many people back then, right, who, who had done ServiceNow, certainly financial services. I actually got took into um, Consolidate 17 external facing service desks. CSM back then would have been a dream, but yeah. it didn't exist, right? It, it was, you know, how much can you bastardize incident management to actually work <laughs> externally? Um, so deployed that there, that was all good. And then at the time, UBS were just getting going uh, with what they were doing. And again, the banking background, the banking references, you know, connections, and also the fact that I had done it. And people at UBS at the time I'd worked with previously, um, you know, made the call and I came in to sort of help deliver that. And then a good friend of mine that sadly, you know, I went through 9-11 with. After 9-11, he had moved back to Colorado to a hosting company. Uh, that's since been bought or acquired, I should say, by Cognizant. Uh, and he said, hey, you know, we need to do all this stuff. You know how to do this stuff. Come <laughs> on over. And part of the deal to do the project was to move to Colorado. Oh, wow. um, so that's why we went over there. Very nice. And then when did you move back here? Uh, June 2016. Oh, nice. Yep. So recently. Yeah, yeah. Not Relative. long ago, three years ago. Um, right around, I think it was a week before the Brexit vote. Oh, wow. So, but... <laughs> In my defense, we missed the Trump vote. So, you know, <laughs> take that with whatever grain of salt you want. Throw and pan to the fire, you know, do whatever you want with it. But, uh, there you go. yeah, yeah, we've been back three years. And, you know, my role's global. Um, you know, it's pretty well known that I travel quite a lot and, you know, what I do in life. Um, but it's great being in London because, obviously, we've got a lot of big customers here, a lot of big stuff going on in Europe. 
um, some really big customers, you know, through Germany and other areas now. Obviously, we've got the data centers and things there. Um, but, you know, building this team out globally um, gives me the, uh, the ability to travel, which I'm fortunate to do and able to do. And obviously, the company supports me doing that. But, um, yeah, I, I sort of just see it as one big ball, right? Yeah. With points in time that I, I drop in in certain places and do certain things. Um, that's just the beauty of the company that we are, right? You, know, that's you can do cool. those things. So let's talk about your uh, new team. Uh, you're building a new team of what I would call wunderkind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just incredible people that you're bringing on board um, and building this little SWAT team out. So just give us a little mm -hmm. background on what it is that you're doing and, and why. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. With the surname of the Pope and teams, uh, a team of people with job titles of evangelist, kind of, you know, and I am buying a church, right, at the That's moment. Great. So kind of all kind of all coming together poetically, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, back three and a half, almost four years ago now, um, I moved under Dave Wright uh, in his team and sort of became the first into that world of this evangelist slash, you know, chief innovation office role, which is really about meeting customers where they're at, C-level type conversations, but also having been a practitioner and knowing how this stuff works uh, and where the bodies are sometimes. Um, you get a, a different conversation that you can't have as a salesperson or a pre-sales or PLS or whatever it's going to be, that you've been there. Three o'clock in the morning, when half your you know your storage environment in your data center just goes blob, you don't. Oh, is there a ticket for that? No, <laughs> stuff happens. Things need to work right, and things and people react in certain ways. So you get a practitioner type level, but also then when you can relay that into the experience of deploying the platform across the banks, global companies, all those sort of things, it resonates really well. The problem is it doesn't scale when you're a team of one, right? Um, and, and it gets difficult and I've got a home life, I've got three kids, you know, and, and a wife that thankfully still talks to me, um, that, um, you know, I, you, you've got other things that you have to think about. So part of, um, you know, the, the company culture changing and the training and the leadership development we're doing, um, I was fortunate to go on lead now back in November last year, which is the leadership training we do, uh, or development. It's not called training, it's called development. Um, and off the back of that, I was fortunate to be asked to run the team, uh, which at the time was five people globally, sort of doing similar things, um, you know, in APJ and obviously in America and so on. And sort of the next sort of iteration, if you will, of my career and my growth and where I need to go is, you know, the standards that I hold myself to and what I expect. You know, rightly so, I expect others around me. And I kind of think, you know, well, if, you know, if I can't do that event or I can't do that meeting, whatever, and I'm going to ask Eric to step in and do that for me, I want him to do it as if it was me, because if it's not quite right or it's not as good as it could be, that's sort of a reflection on me, and then, and I that kind of really annoys me, and it's my brand as well, right, at the end of the day, that I've built over time, and I won't let anybody jeopardize that. So, um, you know, part of that then is, right, okay, we need to scale the team, we've got the T200, we've got the select accounts, you know, we've got all these other amazing programs going on. Um, I can't scale enough, Dave can't scale enough, how do we put right people in the regions and how do we hire the right people that aren't necessarily technical geniuses because we have lots of those or we'll talk products, but just get it, right? Have the Kung Fu, if you will. They know how to do things. They've been there. They've got experiences. They've got backgrounds that also might be different to us, right? Because I don't want to hire people like us, right? Because we've already got lots of those. <laughs> and it means, guess what we're going to have in a year, right? Not much. So a lot of sort of early on, and a lot of people internally have referenced people to me for the roles that we've hired in um, Singapore, uh, in EMEA, and just recently in Dallas, um, as of last night, I should say. Um, and they get disqualified very quickly because I sort of made a statement early on that many people didn't agree with, which was I won't hire customers. Because mm. right? we've done that historically, hey, I was one of them. And, and I think the reason being, or one of the reasons behind that, is if customers were doing this whole digital transformation and digital workflow thing that, that we talk a lot about, we'd already be a $10 billion company, mm. right? And we'd be chasing them, what they're doing, how do we do that, how do we catch up, right? And it's actually quite the opposite. So I want people that look at some of the older traditional problems that we have, but with a different view, a different viewpoint. And if you look at, you know, the financial services industry and others where the fintechs, the startups, the Monzos, the Starlings, the ally banks of the world, you look at the people they recruit to solve those problems. Opening a bank account is opening a bank account. It's never really going to change. But we do it the way we've been conditioned to do it. 
if you look at someone differently from outside that industry that comes in and looks and says, there's a better way of doing these things, okay, it's a bank account, who cares? But there's a better experience to doing those, you get a better outcome that you may not, because you're often too close to the problem, right? Yeah, sure. And you're ingrained in the way you think because that's the way you've been brought up or your experiences or your background. So for me, you know, <clears throat> hiring Jessica is a great example out of Dimension Data. Um, not necessarily touch service now before, maybe as an end user, but certainly not as a system owner or service owner or whatever. And I'm okay with that because we can, you know, we can indoctrinate her as needed, you know, down any product release or whatever we want. But I don't want that. But the background she's got in enterprise IT with, you know, DevOps stuff, IoT, AI, machine learning on a grand scale and coming from a service provider side as well means she's been exposed to hundreds if not thousands of massive customers some of whom are already our customers which is great um and then i think you know the recent hire got um in dallas confirmed yesterday um, she's been doing this role at ibm uh, for a couple of years and i mean anyone that can get anyone excited about ibm's cloud products gets a tick in my box right but prior to that or two careers before that i should say she was a teacher a oh, maths teacher <clears throat> so you think about how someone would present articulate a problem or or define a solution or communicate in a certain way across many different levels. You know, talking to kids, I'm not gonna say she's not gonna keep doing that, right? <laughs> uh, in some of the worlds that we, we end up in. But it's a different way of thinking, right? She's got the tech background, she's got the chops that she needs, all those good things, but she lights up. She brings that energy and think, yeah, I want some of that. How do I get some of that, right? And it's infectious from that standpoint. Um, and, you know, most, I would say, have got some element of CIO, CTO type backgrounds, which is good. Um, but now we're also looking at people that maybe have run, you know, global business services where they've been exposed to finance, legal, marketing, ABC, DRE, and different platforms as well. Because, again, the way you would maybe manage or approach a, uh, you know, a financial project or quote to cash or supply chain management or if you've run the floor of a manufacturing plant with you know smart machines and industry 4.0, interesting, different ways of thinking that we don't talk that way. Right. But when we go to our customers, we have to meet them where they're at and talk in their language, not how we want to talk to them because we alienate them then, right? And then there's right. not necessarily a natural fit. So the team's nine as of this morning, um, you know, and, and we're looking to grow it all the time and do things with it, but it's not a... Um, and it's not a natural, I, would, I think the challenge with it is from, like promoting from within is a big thing I'm a fan of, but it's not an easy thing to do because I'm not sure what the precursor is to this role. You know, is it sales? Is it pre-sales? Is it PLS? Is it marketing product? I don't know, right? Because you get certain elements of it, but you also don't get others. And when we put you in front of a customer, I always say, you know, if, if you're the last person the customer talks to, you're the image of service now, right? and you either do as a service or a disservice. And, you know, I'm violently protective of the brand and loyal to, probably to a fault, um, you know, with Fred hiring me and those sort of things, you know, I sort of have a connection there and, and I get passionate about that stuff. So, it, I, you know, when they're out there, I kind of see them as an extension of me. At some point, one of them, all of them will replace me and goodness knows what I'll be doing next. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we're trying to do with the team and really elevate. and and. When we did our design of our purpose and our mission statement, one of the fundamental questions we asked was, why are we the only team that can do what we do? Hmm. And when you really try to understand that, and, and it's hard to answer that question with thousands of sticky notes on the wall that you, know, you throw away and start again and all those sort of things. And you know, there's a fundamental sort of one word that describes a lot of what we do and it's challenge. We're not afraid to ask the question, but also we can come and ask a question and get you to an answer, not just ask a question for being difficult, but say, no, well, there is a better way of doing that, or this is interesting because, or hey, there's a customer over here that's done this. Let us talk to them, let's get you involved. And, and really, you know, we're a team of storytellers as well, right? And we want to take you on a journey. That's what we want to do. Um, and, you know, and I say to the, the guys and girls in my team, you should be able to stand up there for 45 minutes and hold an audience, no slides. Oh, yeah. If you can't, you probably shouldn't be in our team. Right? That's cool. No, it's really neat, and everybody that I've met so far, I've been hugely impressed with. And Jessica's here, so we're going to have her on a podcast <laughs> here shortly. Uh, she's actually over there, off. Um, she's in makeup. Clearly, we missed yeah. that. So <laughs> I just give up. There's no, you can't put enough stuff on this to make it any. Uh, 
So one of the things you said I, I really enjoyed, because I think another challenge that you have that you just brought to light, which I think is really neat and a lot of people would never get, is we really do live and breathe that culture that you talk about. about and you know, it's funny, I, I just joined marketing, so I've been, I'm new to the role, I'm new to all this podcasty stuff, I'm new to all this. But literally the first meeting I had with Brad and with Kevin and mm-hmm. talking to them about some of the messaging around DevOps and just... They literally ingrained in me. They said, look, I know you're new to marketing, so and I know you're a technical guy, so here's two things we want to tell you. If you can't sit at a pub and explain this to somebody and use words that you would use in the pub, not any of this fancy, buzzwordy <laughs> crap, that yeah. that's what we want. <clears throat> and yep. so literally that when you said that like we wanted the people you'd go have a, a pint with, that's no joke. I mean, it, yeah. it was literally my indoctrination into marketing was... I put together all these fancy things and presented, and they're like, you, you would never say that to somebody in a pub. Like, yeah. say it the way you would say it in a pub. And I'm like, yeah. really? You want me just to say, like, we would do this because it makes your life better? And yeah. they're like, yeah, that's what, we're, we're making lives better. That's perfect. Yeah. And uh, it's it took a while for me to unwind a lot of yeah. years of, oh, I got to sound smart, and I got to sound. It's going to be perfect, yeah. word perfect, and verb perfect. And, and they're now, like, no, yeah. it needs to resonate, and it, that needs to be like we're sitting together. And I think it ends up alienating people when they read that and they think, oh, that feels too difficult, or wow, that feels really fancy. Or the worst case is, that looks like marketing fluff, yeah, and there's nothing behind it, which absolutely is the inverse of what we want, right? So, yeah, and the other side is, I think it, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people present where you, you get out and they're like, wow, those guys are really proud of their work. And it's like got almost an inherent arrogance yeah. because of the big words and the pompous nature of it, but it's, and we are very, I mean, literally the marketing message was, I don't care how good that might sound on a billboard, like, that's not what you would say in public. That's not what you would say to a friend. That's, yeah. you know. So they always said, you know, <clears throat> think that you're sitting next to a buddy having a pint and you're explaining this technology. What would you say? Yeah, and exactly. so then you, it just changes our entire tone, yeah. our message, everything. And, yeah, uh, I remember when we started doing some of the initial work around rebranding and the messaging of the company. And, um, you know, we, we had this agency come and interview people at the company, customers, um, other employees, partners, and so on, and really get to... Well, if you were in a pub and said, hey, how are you? How are you? Who do you work for? Blah, blah. Oh, what do they do? <laughs> or why do you work there? Right? Or how would you describe what you do? Right? Um, some of the replies were really interesting because it not only exposed what some people, their motivations were in life and why they're here, sadly, <laughs> um, but also you started to truly understand, like you were saying, the, the guts of what it is, right? And why we're here and why we do what we do and, and why we're passionate about what we do. And I think then the more that sort of, I guess, gets translated over to our customers and they see us as real people, which is good, um, but also they want to talk to us. They want to spend time with us. Um, and some of the best you know, meetings, conversations, whatever I've had, you know, have just been ad hoc, cup of coffee, sit down, shoot the breeze, no laptops, no, you know, no presentations, no nothings. What's going on? How are you? What's, yeah. what's new? What can I help you with? You know, what's bothering you? And, you know, just get to know people on a different level from that standpoint. And then it's not threatening. And then it's not with a hidden agenda. And it's quite genuine. And sometimes it's just, you know what? They need a place to vent. Right? We all do. And just unleash and say, well, you know what? That's interesting. And, and that's it. There's no outcome. Right. It just is what it is. Because then when the next time they do meet, you become that trusted advisor and you can help and you can guide and it's not threatening and you don't have that hidden agenda. Um, and I think that's that's the other part of us being very transparent about what we do, sometimes to a fault. But I think that's also good because it sort of shows the vulnerable side of us as well that, you know, okay, we're on a rocket ship, lots of good things are happening, but we're not perfect. Yeah. Right. And we don't claim to be perfect and we're not, we're not um, I guess, afraid in, in showing that either. I think, you know, it's interesting some of the messaging and, this, this might be polarizing. Um, this is me personally, what I felt at the time. If you look at knowledge this year and the keynotes, they were a step above. Like every two or three years, there's this step we take, right? Um, with the production of the event and the content and all those sort of things. But if you look at you know day one with John and CJ and then day two and what happened, a lot of customers came up to me afterwards and you know when you start talking about messaging and what we do and why we do and said who captivated them the most what message because we always say oh what was that interesting demos were cool right and all this sort of stuff and joe talking into his phone and magic things happening <laughs> and they say you know what dave's presentation my boss right and i'm not just saying this to kiss ass but 
you know, the guy is a legend at presenting, right? He's almost horizontal when he presents. He's so genuine and humble at it, but at the same time, he had the least slides with the least words, but he took you on a journey and you mm -hmm. couldn't take your eyes off him, right? I mean, he looks good anyway, right? Yeah. Clearly he works out <laughs> a lot, but you, you, you wanted to know what he was going to say next. And then he was very genuine in terms of putting, you know, the picture up of when he was in the band, and, you know, oh, yeah. and his mullet and all that good stuff. Right. Um, but then you had a connection and whether you wanted to talk about service now or not was irrelevant. If you wanted to go up to him afterwards in the bar and say, Hey, that was cool. This one, that picture, that was really funny. You've got a connection, not saying, Oh, you know, let's talk about CSM or ITOM. No, you can connect with Dave about something that he shared. And I think, the more we do that with our customers, the more genuine we are. And I think ultimately those relationships will grow. Um, and I think it's something I always try to do with our customers is just ask them who they are, what they are, and, uh, and you know, everything okay. And, you know, we ask them to come to events and stay over in places like Vegas or wherever or, you know, get up early and come to events in the city or, or spend time with us out of their daily lives. They have a daily life as well. <laughs> You know, and take an interest. No, oh, you know, you got to go. You got to, you know, be cognizant of the fact that look, you know, I know you got to commute home. We'll respect that. You know, we'll finish the event early or we'll stop it at half past three because they we know they've got to get home to families and other things, right? And I think the more we do that, the more genuine it is, and I think ultimately we'll get a better outcome. Yeah, I was blown away by Dave, and the, uh, so this is again first year I'd ever done marketing. First year I was ever involved in the knowledge stuff, and I was involved in the agility demo side of that because that's kind of the role I'm in, and. Uh, sitting in meetings with Dave as we were raising. So there's a couple of things that I think would be interesting as a behind the scenes. One, the final version of, of the presentation that went up for the keynotes was version 51. Yeah. 51. And we sat through every iteration <laughs> of 51 times as yeah. a team. And it was insane. The amount of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into those are yeah. phenomenal. And so that was, to me, eye-opening. I was like, I had no idea that this... 40-minute presentation had yeah. this many people weeks. sweating. Oh, for weeks. It's brilliant. But then also watching Dave in action, we did dry run after dry run, and he would literally just be like, okay, guys, this is great. Like, this is phenomenally from a theory, from a practice, from a pr – this isn't how I talk. This yeah. isn't how I talk to people. This isn't how I relate to people. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, but we have to do this so that it would be like it's coming from my heart. And yeah. I, I literally, the reason we got to such a great presentation with him that did resonate so well was – he just was a, he was adamant that like, look guys, th this is brilliant stuff. The content's phenomenal, but put it in a white paper. I don't talk like this. Yeah. I want to connect with people. Yep. I want to tell them, I want to be vulnerable. I want to tell them a story of how, <clears throat> and I remember him saying it. He's like, I was afraid I was going to lose my job to a tape machine from storage tech. He goes, that was legitimate. Like I was worried. Yeah. Everybody's out there worried about AI, worried about machine learning. Let's connect with them. Let's yeah. tell them this has happened before. This will happen again. Yep. Here's how the world's shaped up so you can be prepared for it. And I just, I thought that was great because, I mean, Dave has every pedigree to just be able to say, you know, fine, I can just, I can just do whatever I want and people are going to listen to it because I'm Dave Wright. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll drop the mic and I'll walk off and everybody will yeah. clap. There you go. But he was very adamant about this isn't how I would talk to somebody. I think, and you know, we neat. see this a lot in the field with, you know, our team, we get, you know, quite prescriptive content, you know, future of work or the now at work, whatever it's going to be. And it's too rigid. And often I've gone back and said, have you presented this? Because if you haven't, then you don't know what's wrong with it because yeah. it doesn't flow or it doesn't work. And, you know, the, the recent Future of Work events that we did, um, you know, the field pretty much tore it up and started again around actually talked about the future of work, yeah. right? Um, and we did an event in London two weeks after Knowledge, I think it was. Um, no, sorry. It was back in February, March, not long after sales kickoff. And a big part of the content was the, the, the play out that we had a kickoff between Chris, our CIO, and, and Mike Scarpelli, our CFO, around what we've done internally, how we saved the million hours, and all that good stuff. Now, if you were there, you got it. You understood because Mike and Chris and the banter and the backwards and forwards. But it turned into like trying to present a visual joke on radio. It didn't work in the field if you weren't Chris or Mike. Because you didn't get the nuances, the twists, the, the gags, you know, and the, the context of it. So we ended up scrapping it and doing something different with it. Um, but I think we see that a lot where we try to create the perfect content or the perfect deck. And it comes out from whoever, right? The BUs, product marketing, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And then when you actually get into the footage, you can't talk to it. You can't tell a story. It just feels like slide two, slide three, slide 82, slide 83. 
don't know anything wrong, right? And the roadmaps are a little bit like that because it's feature function. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, take me on the journey. How's it all connected? What's the theme between this? And I think that's where you know my team becomes so in demand because we can take you on that journey. Yep. You know, and and I never forget you know the Mandel training and all that other stuff oh, sure. that you do, and <laughs> you know, and, and another version of that that I did not not, not that long ago, where um, at the end of the day. Um, after you've had the coaching, there was like a, a bowl with um, almost like, you know, the pieces of paper from fortune cookies in them. And they had topics on. And everyone in the room that took part wrote a topic and you threw it in the bowl, you mixed them up. So, right, Eric, you're up. You got three minutes, put your hand in the jar, pull out that thing. You got three minutes to talk about that as a story or a topic or whatever. And I never forget, I got the sex life of a ping pong ball. <laughs> And you're like, what the hell? Are we gonna... Right, let's go. <laughs> right? And I mean, I won't go into it here, but you've got to talk to it, right? right. And, and it becomes funny and it becomes interesting, but you just have to dance and yeah. figure out how to tell a story. And I think, you know, a lot of the content that we produce, we have speaker notes and all those other good things. It doesn't give... Some of it has to be factual, right? Mm. Period. That's what the safe harbor is for, right? You get out of jail card and things like that. But... I think where we can be prescriptive, we have to be. That makes total sense. But also, where can we allow some creativity as well? You know, and I just built out, you know, the long-range release themes, which is, you know, at the moment, New York, Orlando, Paris, and so on. And we gave people homework to do. Here's a theme around, not only on AI, but the AI and the impact on humanity. Go read these articles, McKinsey, Forbes, whoever they are. Get the background, get the flow, get the story. Pick out of those articles the things that resonate with you or that you can connect with or would be meaningful for the audience you're going to go and talk to in, you know, whoever, education or retail or whatever it may be, so that you can create a connection, not just, hey, here's ServiceNow's latest product in New York. Go buy it, right? Have that bigger theme in the story. So what we've allowed people to do, and I think there's 65 people trained now, they've gone away and looked at all those articles in the PDFs and read them and started to craft their own journey. They'll still talk about our roadmap and what our products are gonna do, but how you might take me on a journey, how I would and how Jessica would, could be completely different, mm -hmm. but we'll get the same essence out of it, right? And that then keeps it a little bit new unique. And it goes back to that saying I said earlier of, you know, what is it that our team can do that nobody else can? Mm -hmm. And that allows us to still be a little, a little bit special, I think, you know, have that secret sauce. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we've all, probably made mistakes in our careers were gone and one of the mistakes I made back in my 30s was to think that I had all the answers and then when you when you run into a wall where your perception gets shifted so hard that you can't deny it anymore that yeah. you go wait a minute I need to always keep an open mind and keep a different way of yeah. perspective and gathering and one of these we had so I, I kind of want to start to maybe transition towards this DevOps a little bit but one of the things that's interesting is I always say that when you see the world from a different perspective you see things differently and that's uh, very obvious, I guess. That was Captain Obvious. But <laughs> one of the things around DevOps was people always say it's a tool chain fight. We're, we're sitting down there at the Expo Center. We've got, I don't know, there's 40 or 50 partners down there that all say we do very similar things mm -hmm. a lot of times. And uh, what's always interesting for me is when I was, so I was an executive at a bank for a while trying to do DevOps and, and get this 200-year-old bank to do new things. Um, one of the most painful parts was when, you know, you'd have a conversation about we're trying to be more agile. We're trying to increase flow through the system. We're trying to get my developers to be faster, faster, better, write better code, pass more tests. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have a vendor come in and be like, yeah, but you need to replace these tools because uh, these are better. And I'd be like, and so then a lot of people, when you have the perception of just being in sales or marketing or in the field, they'll say, oh, that's just going to be a religious battle. That's a religious tool battle. They like this. So, you know, yeah. we're not going to win that. But it's more than that. Like when you get a different, that is one view is that it's just a tool battle. But when you get this other perception, it's like, no, what you don't realize is it's going to take me three months to retrain everybody. Yep. Like, I don't care if you've got the best tool in the world. I just stopped productivity. I took all these developers mm -hmm. from writing code and being faster. And now they're sitting in training classes for a yeah. tool that does 80% of feature yeah. parity for Huge what they overlap. already have. Yeah, yep. so it's like, it's these perception changes that I love seeing in my career where it's where somebody can, like your team, can open my eyes to go, have you thought about it this way? And it's like, oh, actually, I had not thought about it that yeah. way. And that's a totally different discussion. And so those are the things that I do love. And I, I think your team is doing a really good job of so far. So, Oh, that's cool. Um, that's good to know. I'm ticking the box. So, uh, yeah, I yeah. guess Jessica will get to do her podcast then. So uh, ah. you're, still, you're still employed. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, hello over there. No, I think you're right. It's, uh, I think where Atlassian did well early was when they, they won hearts and minds. But 
they made the point of entry easy. Yeah. Right. And once you get that, you get massive momentum and you get massive scale quickly. And then it's bloody hard to shift that, right? Really hard to shift that model. And, you know, I think feature for feature, whatever. Right. Okay. If you want to go have that bun fight, go have that bun fight, right? At some point, there'll be parity, there'll be overlap, there'll be all those good things. And when we were, you know, we had this fight, you know, for a period of time at a big bank here. And we said, okay, if you're using Jira, you're using Jira. Don't really care. Using Kubernetes or Ansible or whatever the latest thing is, I don't really mind. Great. Um, can I have just have a look and see where we are? What do you mean? What's coming next? Where are we? What are the open risks? What's the cost? What's resource utilized? That feels like a lot of hard work. Can you give me a week to go and produce? No, I need to see it now. If you're agile, you're nimble, you're doing all these things. Right, you should have all this. It should be there. You should have a backlog. You're burning you know, down, story yeah. by story. Where and the CTO said, I want one place to go to see the state of my enterprise. And then if I want to drill in, I understand, I might need to go one or two different places based on you know whoever you are and wherever you're working. But I need one place to go. And it all came down to, I said, well, okay, all the release stuff and you know whatever is all in Jira. Well, like, okay, that's fine, cool. We can integrate with that. That's not a difficult thing to do. Um, which uh, can we have the instance? You know, the username, password, whatever it may be. Yeah, that might be a problem. Why? Well, there's 81 of them. Every team had their own instance, and you're like, well, okay. Well, we're not building 81 integrations. So what do we do? Is there a master? No. Are the schemas? No. Is this no? Okay. Well. Hmm. So we went back to the CTO and said, right, see this big hole here in this part of the process where you've got seven stages, I forget what it was. That's why it's zero, but it says NA, because we can't do that because of the way your organization is currently working. And when you elevate the conversation up to a, like a CTO or whatever level, the head of engineering, and say, we can do all that, that's cool, but this is what it now means, that you can't go to the business and have a predictable release pipeline, not only based on when it's going to come, the quality it's going to be, the cost it's going to be, or you know, whatever it may be, you know, the time from idea to um, value, you start having other issues. And then when the business can turn around and say, well, you own all that stuff, so why don't you just fix it, <laughs> right? It becomes an easy conversation to have. Right. If we're at the lower level with, you know, my developer's better than yours and my headphones are cooler than yours and all that sort of stuff, yeah, couldn't really care less and I'm not really interested in that conversation. Um, you're always going to need platforms and products to make sure people work better, but... It's when we elevate that conversation to sort of how the tool chain is connected is fine, but at that sort of holistic level of how do you get from an idea through to value. Um, and we've seen a big bank here every 90 days based on the outcome of those quarterly, they're not sprints, but quarterly efforts for want of a better word. That's how they determine budgets for the next quarter. So you're incentivized to do more and get more money to do more stuff by following the right process and the right structure. And the best process is the one you follow without knowing you're following it, right? So meet them where they are. Okay, you want to do that from Slack. Uber. <laughs> do that from Slack. That's fine. But this is what you need to do. And we'll make it easy for you to do it, but you just need to know it's happening, right, yeah. uh, in the background. And you remove the friction from the process. You get your compliance. You get your audit. You get your regulatory controls. It's all good. But you meet them where they're at of how they want to work but then you certainly automate elements of it so they don't even have to think about it. And worst case, they don't have an opinion about it. For sure. Yeah, no, that's been the best part of the, in my humble opinion, that's been the best part of the ServiceNow story around DevOps is that we're, we're basically, you know, to the developer, we're always trying to, how do we resonate with a developer that typically looks at us as a ITSM, ticket CMDB, tool. ticketing yeah. tool. They don't love the paperwork or the yeah. forms. And so what's been resonating is we say, okay, then we know. Like we've all written code, yeah, we yeah. know. You don't like that stuff. So what if we can automate all that stuff, take it off your plate and get the auditors off your back, get the change managers off your back, get you access to new levels of production you've never had before. And then they're like, oh my God, that'd be great. Really? You guys can do that? And it's like, that's what we're trying to do. I yeah. mean, <laughs> does that resonate? Is that, yeah. and they're all like, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Like we're all in on that idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been really neat. It, you said something there that's interesting that I wanted to, so there was this lesson. I got humbled once by a, by a mentor when I was all the way back in college. And uh, we sat down and I was learn I was a programmer right when I was in college. And I wrote C because that was what the cool kids wrote, right? Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I had a Visual Basic class and I was like, oh, this is garbage. I don't want to write Visual Basic. Like, that's cheating. It's not even a compiler. It's not blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's interpreted language. This is garbage. 
And so I sat down with this guy. He had, I think he was working on his fourth degree. He was like an eternal academic, yeah. but, but he was actually pretty brilliant. He sat me down, continuing education. I remember this. It was at night. We were sitting there in the lab. And he said, okay. He goes, you want to see why people write in Visual Basic? And I go, I guess. And I go, what, what's the challenge? And Because I told him, I said, any app you want to talk about, I can do better in C than you can do in Visual Basic. Because, <laughs> you know, you get that yeah. spunk when you're that age. Into saying, mm -hmm. But uh, he goes, okay, sure, let's make a bet. He goes, uh, whoever does it buys dinner. And he goes, and I'll bet you that we'll write an app. I'll write mine in Visual Basic. You write yours in uh, C, and we'll compare and contrast who's got the best features and everything else at the end of it. And I go, okay. And he goes, I'll go first. And I was like, wait, what? I thought we were going to be like a month. And he goes, no, no, no. I'll go first. And he literally sat down at the console, pops up Visual Basic 4.0, instantiates the Internet Explorer, you know, right. uh, basically the whole library and API into Visual Basic, drags and drops the screen size, sets the form, and goes, uh, boom, there you go. He goes, it's a browser. It functions. <laughs> he goes, your turn. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, that's going to take me at least a couple nights like of no <laughs> sleep and everything else. And he goes, and, and you think you're going to have as many features as me? And I'm like, no, dude, you got to give me like at least a week to get that. And he goes, <laughs> right. So if I'm a company and I'm paying you guys and, and, and I'm looking at you writing, you know, C and me writing Visual Basic, he goes, who are they going to pay? Guy that's going to take months and is going to yeah. be less feature rich. And I continually run into this in companies that yeah. are like, we're going to build it ourselves. We're going to build it ourselves. We're going to build it ourselves. Or, you know, and it's this idea that like, guys, you're losing, you're losing touch with the entire message, which is path to value. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's job at an organization is how fast can we get to value? Not should we have a tool fight over whose tools yeah. are better? Um, and I think that's really interesting because I heard you say that path to value piece. And I think that's a part that's often the, uh, or often misunderstood or mis mm -hmm. misappropriated. Maybe it's like, we don't care about value. We just want to do this. And it's like, well, yeah. why? I don't know. I'm yeah. attached to We've it. already done it that way. Yeah, yeah. We always done it that oh, way. the SS. Uh, yeah. I had a slide in a deck once at the bank that was called, uh, they said, "What's your, we did a SWOT analysis. And I actually pissed everybody off when I did this. But it was, uh, I put this, <laughs> it was a picture of the Titanic, but I had photoshopped on the site, SSBAU. And I said, mm. this this is our number one threat. Yeah. And it's business as usual. <clears throat> and it was everybody's crutch. It was everybody's crux. It was like, and it was the weakest point in the whole plan. Was, yeah. Well, we've always done it that way. Yep. And uh, exactly. yeah, it's very challenging. So give me a little bit of background. We're, we're running out of time of having you. So we're at the DevOps Enterprise Conference. ServiceNow is entering DevOps uh, very seriously now, where, where we've built an entire business unit. Um, RJ Janendra is running that, and phenomenal from Electric Cloud, and uh, got a whole team coming together that I'm just blown away from every day. But uh, what's your perspective on this? I mean, we're, we're kind of... Uh, talking all these buzzwords because yep. unfortunately DevOps is the world Bingo. of buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Check the box. So um, what do you think? What are your thoughts? What do you what are you liking? What are you disliking? I think it's time. I think we're now getting to that side of technology and the business where it makes sense. But I think at the same time it's a people movement. It the the people, the process, the culture aspect is changing in terms of, you know, whether it's digital this, agile that, it doesn't really matter. Previously, I think it was a bun fight with technology and tools, and that's you know, that's fraught with danger, and it's, like you said, it's a religious war. Now we're at the point where not only do you need to transform from a technology standpoint, you need to transform from an organization or a business standpoint. And that, for us, is the perfect headwind, right, to get on the back of that. And I think, you know, it companies are ready to do that now. They see that that's the case, and that these siloed, point solutions that have been great for developers or whoever for years well there's a whole other army of people out there and you know if you go full-on squads tribes and all that other stuff the whole organization is the resource now not just a bunch of people sat in a room that you know code 20 hours a day or whatever it may be and it's not just the developers right you've got bas you've got project managers you've got scrum masters you've got all other sorts of people that play non-technical roles. And I think the beauty of that for us is that, you know, we can cater to all those personas, but also provide that insight from analytics and data to say, well, okay, you're doing all this work and you got daily standups and sticky notes and all that other stuff on the wall, but no more sausage is coming out of the sausage factory, right? Than what you were doing originally. So something needs to change, right? And, and how do we go about doing that? And some of the ways that's how people are organized, right? And the way they go about it. They're not waterfall, they're not agile, they're tragile. Right, they're somewhere stuck in the middle, um, and that's okay. the worst thing. You just won the best thing. There you go. Tragile podcast. So Hashtag tragile. Hashtag tragile. Right, and I think so. You know, then you say, well, you know, great. You can switch out any technology tomorrow, 
but it doesn't necessarily make, you know, once the honeymoon period and the shiny object goes away, you've still got the same problem. And changing the way people work with process and culture is bloody hard to do. Mm-hmm. Really hard. So there's got to be a compelling reason to do it. And that back to what's in it for me, but also, hey, we've all got the same email address. We all work for the same company, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in it together, right? And if we win together, win together. But if we sink, which, you know, all these disruptors that are happening in all the different verticals, someone is going to eat your lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some research that was done that 80% of the traditional banks in the world that we know today by 2030 are gone. And you think about that's daunting. If you think about two of them went during 2008 in a collapsible, catastrophic way, what if 80% of them are going to go in the next 11 years? How do they go out of the system? Think of the upheaval and the change that that's going to cause, right? So that's enormous, right? And this is why people have got to change and transform in what they do, how they work, but also to attract talent, right? You know, um, people don't want to work on the C's and the visual basic platforms, or, or I don't even know what they are, right? right, right. Clearly too young um, for those sort of things. But, you know, that's what you've got to do, and you've got to meet them at that modern point, that, that state of having that connected enterprise is sort of a term that we're starting to use more and more now. And it's not just software. It's people, it's places, it's technology, um, it's culture, right? And the way people want to work together. So for me, that's sort of the, the level I talk at. Um, you know, I don't know one check-in from another check-in and a git and a lab and a, uh, I have no idea. And I'm a professor, I have no desire to know about that stuff. And we've got armies of people that can talk about that. But so does every other vendor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the goal of my team and, you know, the messaging that you know, Jessica is working on for us is how do we elevate that conversation um, to, so that we differentiate ourselves, but at the same time, meet the real people that, that are going to use and adopt and, and use this stuff in, in the real world. We meet them where they're at, right, and solve the problems that they need, not necessarily what you know, IT people think they need. Now, that's, uh, it's interesting because it's interesting you say that because when I first joined uh, ServiceNow in general, I, I was in an advisory consulting role, but I the first thing I did to learn the product myself was sit down. I had just come off of training an entire team of people on safe, scaled, agile framework. Mm-hmm. So my entire mentality was scaled, agile, scaled, agile. And uh, I looked at the entire portfolio of ServiceNow and I, I then I went, you know, wait a minute, like, why did no one from ServiceNow come knocking on my door? I had a checkbook with a big number behind it and I had a whole bunch of needs that... Yeah. I could have solved. I needed a DevOps portal. We were going to write our own, yeah. which would have taken us forever and been <laughs> a billion dollars. Yeah. And that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but probably not too far off. Um, and I'm like, and ServiceNow has a service portal I could have been using for that. And mm-hmm. then I said, you know, we were looking for Kanban solutions, and there's always the age old ones that, but it's visual task boards. It's right here. Yeah. And then I would get into like all these areas. And anyway, I mapped out this whole thing on like, there are all these solutions in our portfolio that can be applied to the yep. scaled agile framework or to just DevOps in general, but yep. we don't market it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting for me because now I start to see like, it's not a widget. It's not a GitHub. It's not like, it's not a tools discussion. It's a higher level elevation of value. It's mm-hmm. really, how are you guys driving value and what are the things that you need? And the biggest things to your point, one of the biggest things that I'm excited about um, when I started my job at, I'm not going to name it, but the bank, um, <laughs> two problems. I got pulled into a room and I said, there's two problems. One, Wealthfront is eating our lunch. They literally, yeah. on their website, it says, we don't have a release cycle, we have a deploy button. And yeah. they show their last code deployments for investment banking. <laughs> Meanwhile, Merrill Lynch at the time, oh, yeah. I said it, uh, the big bank at the time was <laughs> twice a year yeah. that they would release code. And if you're an investor, you want the latest, greatest advantages and yeah. everything else. And they knew that. They're like, yeah. we're going to get displaced. Um, the second challenge we had was, uh, I, I don't know if I should say the number, but let's say almost half the new developer talent that we were hiring would quit before they ever line, wrote a yeah. line of code because it took up to eight to 10 weeks to get them into the environment yeah. to be productive. Uh, eight to 10 weeks. Yeah. So they're hiring all these. I started laughing because for some reason the banks all went through this phase where they're like, we got to hire Silicon Valley people. So they were yeah. going to Stanford and or it was on the East Coast, they were pulling everybody from MIT, and they're like, we need the best and brightest developers. Yeah. They get them. It's you know, kids that yeah. show up for work in like Beats and San- Beats headphones yeah. on with sandals yeah. on and a T-shirt. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm DevOps because I have there a T-shirt on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm um, corporate, clearly. Yeah. I'm wearing a shirt. <laughs> it's those silly yeah. things. And my stickers. Yeah. The stickers are DevOps. Yeah. That's, I'm a DevOps because I got yeah. stickers. Um, anyway, we laugh, but it really is a cultural shift. It's a yeah. difference in values, chains at the different in 
just culture and what they want to do. And uh, it was crazy because these kids didn't care about money. They would just start and they'd be like, yeah. I want to write cool code. Yep. And then it would be like uh, eight to ten weeks, I'm bored, I'm leaving. I'm yep. going to go do something cool. Yeah. And it was crazy because they'd be like, and, and literally almost a 50% attrition rate. It wasn't quite that wow. high, but 50% of all new hires were leaving and it was a huge problem. And I'm like, why, what's the challenge? And they said, well, we can't spin up access to the environments. We can't get them the permissions. We can't get through the yeah. policy stuff. And I'm like, this isn't all automated when you give them an offer letter? And yeah. they're like, yeah, we don't have those platforms. Yeah. And then I saw our HR onboarding stuff and I'm like, this is already solved. This is a problem yeah. that's simple exactly. and it's already solved. Like, why? where's the gap? Why isn't this yeah. thing here yet? And uh, yeah, so it's anyway, it's pretty neat, but I thought I'd give you those. Yeah, that's cool. It's good. Pieces. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. We are at exactly an hour. So wow, um, cool. You gave us uh, an hour of your time, which I got to tell you is. Uh, I'm you sure know, I'm starstruck. I'm, I'm starstruck sure sitting next <laughs> to you, man. Um, it's brilliant to get to talk to you this way. So thank you so much, and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. Speak to you soon. All right, man. Thanks a ton.